Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Julie Early was a 50-year-old from Trotwood, Ohio. She was a nurse with a huge heart who took in foster children to give them a good home. On May 21, 2012, early in the day she talked to a couple people on the phone from her house. Everything seemed fine. However, when her husband got home in the afternoon after working on a roof, Julie wasn't there. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. topics about human nature is the observation that we are capable of some of the most beautiful things in the world, and some of the worst. Humans are the only animal in which some devote their entire lives to helping other animals. Zoologists, veterinarians, dog groomers. On the other hand, we're also the only animal that inflicts pain for fun. The Nazis, the Romans, Nickelback, you know what I mean. This is a factor of our big brains and how we desire the world to be. Some people believe to improve the world, you personally have to be good first. Others believe the world would improve if they could just control everyone else's behavior. This dynamic has played out since the earliest history, and each side has had its wins and losses. But these opposing views also happen at the personal level. Some people believe you bring out the best in others by giving them love and respect by choice. Other people believe they're entitled to love and respect just because they exist. So they take, take, take. The problems start when these two types combine resources and start a relationship, usually to the detriment of the giver. I bring this up because Julie Early was a giver, a nurse, a foster parent a woman with seemingly a bottomless heart. But she got involved with a taker, a man who wouldn't even pay $100 a month to his ex-wife. The question, did Julie and this man's relationship ultimately become a lethal combination? And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, charlieproject.org. Julie got married young, took into her home two boys who needed help, including one from her own family. 
She became a nurse despite having a variety of health problems, including diabetes. And when she got divorced 15 years later, despite it being ugly, she was an independent woman with her own house with a pool, a car in the garage, and money in the bank. That changed when Craig Early came into her life. After getting married and before long, the house was gone. The money was gone. Julie's ex-husband had custody of their sons, and Julie was left with just a room in Craig's mother's house. Yet they managed to move out and get their own place not long before she disappeared. On May 21, 2012, Craig was down the street working on a neighbor's roof. Julie was at home. There's proof of this. She spoke to a couple people that day. Craig claims he came home to find Julie gone. Her purse and phone were gone as well. Yet the car was in the driveway and there were no signs of violence. Julie was never seen again. What has complicated the investigation into Julie's disappearance are the following factors. Craig never filed a missing persons report till a month later. Julie's family didn't find out about her disappearance until mid-June. And Craig's story from May 21st has changed numerous times, including his appearance on the Dr. Phil show. Julie's family believes she was murdered. The interview for this episode is with Julie's sister, Kim Willie. Unfound news. I'm headed to Pennsylvania to see my parents in about a week and a half. Don't worry. I don't anticipate any interruptions in episodes of Unfound. I am able to bring all my equipment with me. However, I may not be as active and responsive on social media as I usually am. I will be in Western PA for a month. I'm really looking forward to it. Next, have you pre-ordered Volume 4 yet? Yep, it's now available. It will come out on July 4th. Just go to Amazon and do a search for Unfound Volume 4. Or you can find the links in the discussion group or on the Unfound page. The cases are Eric Franks, Jeff Joseph, Donna Michalenko, the Marco Island Three, Claudia Wells, and the McDaniel Sisters. Finally, you can expect a little bit different episode within the next couple weeks. I've gotten many requests to do an update program on all the cases Unfound is covered. Granted, I won't cover every case because, frankly, some of them haven't changed in status. But many have. So I will go through those ones and detail what happened after Unfound's coverage. I'm happy there are many of that type to talk about. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, where it's number one, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. In particular, please check out the Unfound live show that plays on the Unfound podcast page on Facebook on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com. Please check out the secret Stephen Kocher episode. The website at Trib Total Media, triblive.com forward slash news forward slash unfound. Unfound has Patreon and PayPal accounts. Your contributions provide for many of the items guests have received so far. I cannot thank all of Unfound supporters enough. This week, I need to thank Carol... Christina, Molly, Stacy, Andrea, and Sarah. Unfound Merchandise, Volumes 1, 2, 3, and now 4 on Amazon in both paperback and ebook form. Let's get some nice reviews for those books. 
the playing cards, go to makeplayingcards.com. Just do a search for Unfound Podcast. Search for almost all of Unfound's cases at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com. And please mention Unfound on all True Crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Julie Early, Kim Willie. Kim, welcome to Unfound. Thank you for having me. Let's start here. She was your sister. How many siblings do you and Julie have? Uh, we were a family of three. I had, uh, I'm the oldest. The next year was my brother, Kenny. And the next year was my sister, Julie. And then that was it. There's three of us, just three right in a row. Three right in a row. Okay, so yep. you were uh, two years older than Julie then? Yes, two and huh. a half. Okay. Um, how did you all get along? Uh, did you and your sister, Julie, growing up uh, share the same interests? And how did your brother fit all into that? Well, not really. <laughs> okay. We were, really, we were very, we shared a room and, and we, you know, especially as young kids, played together, all three of us really. Uh, both my parents worked full time in, in factories. Uh, we spent a lot of time with the grandparents. Julie and I were real different. Um, she was hmm. a lot like my mother and I was, I guess, kind of more like my dad. Kenny was kind of in the middle. Um, so we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we loved each other, and mm -hmm. that's what matters. Sure, sure. And in two years apart, so maybe two grades apart. Like, if you'd have been in eleventh grade, she was in ninth grade, something like that. Yeah, I was when I graduated. She was in. Well, actually, Kitty and Julie both graduated the same year. They would have been in tenth grade because Kenny got held back a year. Okay. Uh, she. We went to Covington, which is a little small town, about 3,000 people, lived there our, our whole life. Um, uh, my parents were both from Bradford, the next little town over, and then we moved to Covington. I think I was in second grade, so Julie went to Covington all 12 years. Uh, her and Kenny both went to the joint school for their last two years of school. Julie took horticulture, and I think Kenny took auto mechanics or something. Hmm. And... So when she first, I think she worked at a at garden center for a while when she first got out of school. And then um, she got married when she was probably about 20, 21 the first time. Very young. Very young. Um, I was already, I got married at 18, already out of the house. And so her and Kenny were at home by themselves, you know, just them two for a while. Then uh, she got married to Stephen Budd from Piqua, a large Catholic family, and they were married, I think, about hmm, I think fifteen to seventeen years, I believe. Wow! How did they meet? Would they meet in school or just neighbors? Or he was from Piqua, the next town over, and I, I think they just mutual friends introduced them. They, they got married like within about a year. Julie at that time was working at a even flow as a baby manufacturer. That's where my mom had worked at the time, and my grandmother. 
and my aunts. Anyway, a lot of family worked there. So she huh. worked She worked there probably about 10 years. And then they started sending a lot of business down to or moved it out to Mexico. And she got a deal where she could get retrained. And she went back to school and became an LPN, which is something she always wanted to do. So, well, that certainly sounds like a step up from the factory. I mean, nurses, right. LPN can make pretty right. good money. It's a good job. Right. Yes, she had a good for her. She loved it. Good. She had become. She was diabetic, a type one diabetes. She got when she was eleven, so she had a, a heart for all that and for kids. And most, she worked in nursing homes for a while, and but mostly she worked with uh, in home health care for kids with disabilities. And she actually, Steve and her became foster parents because they couldn't have kids. She had a couple miscarriages. Mm. Early. Early, early miscarriages and just they couldn't have any kids so she they both became foster parents and I think they ended up being foster parents for maybe five years they were they had like several big sibling groups and they actually ended up adopting one boy that um, they had pretty early on as a foster child and it was kind of an open adoption and that was Stephen and he had a fetal alcohol syndrome, ADHD, a lot of behavioral issues. Hmm. But she, you know, that was their only child for a while, so they had a lot of time for that. And she worked as a nurse, so she had a lot of understanding with that kind of stuff. And Steve was a grew up with a, a large family, so it worked out pretty good for for a while. And what kind of parent would you say uh, Julie was? Uh, very loving. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably, probably pretty stricter than Steve, I would imagine. Hmm. She, uh, she liked things clean, and she liked things done a certain way. So, I mean, I think she tried to do everything perfect with with him because she wanted the kid for so long. I think she really tried, but she also understood that he had issues, and, and I think she let a lot of it roll off her back too because if you push the push too hard, it just made it worse sometimes. So. Mm-hmm. They had him for probably about three years, three or four years, adopted, and had still had some other foster kids when a distant cousin of ours ended up uh, getting pregnant and couldn't keep the child and, and asked Julie and Steve if they would like to adopt him. So that's how they ended up with Skylar then. He's actually like a third cousin. And hmm. he also had uh, ADHD, some, some other... Um, alcohol, I think he was Asperger's, a lot of problems again, uh, not quite as severe as Stephen, but he very quiet and uh, he fit in pretty good. So she had, and she got him at like eight weeks. So she had him, I think Stevie was like 18 months old when they got him. So she had him both pretty, pretty young. Wow. So they, they um, wow. ended up, yeah, being foster parents and I think... It was a lot of a lot of stress with the, all the kids and 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 um, Steve uh, and her kind of just grew apart because of all the stress of the foster kids really and the adopted kids. It was just a whole change in their world. Ended up uh, getting divorced. And you said they were married for how long? Fifteen to seventeen years? Did you say? Right. right. I'd say about fifteen or seventeen years. And the, the boys were probably six and eight when they got divorced. I would guess. Yeah, and there was a big, big, ugly divorce battle. Um, it was kind of an abusive, controlling marriage, 
and uh, I think when it, by the time it was all over, uh, people just, if you go through something like that and you've just taken it and taken it and taken it, that sometimes you end up going a little the other, 180 the other degree, and you can't, you just can't take anymore. And she got a little, she got a little mean, and she got a little, she fought back, and it wasn't always in her best interest. She ended up, uh, they had shared custody for a while, then she ended up losing custody. Spent. How did she end up losing custody? What, 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 uh, what happened, happened there? Well, she, she would get aggravated with, with Steve about stuff, and Steve would fight with her. Every time she would drop the kids off, it was an argument, and they ended up going, dropping the kids off, like, in front of the police station. It just got really, really nasty. I think there was just a lot of anger on both sides, and they took it out on each other, and the kids suffered. So okay. she, spent lots, she spent lots and lots of money trying to get uh, custody and ended up, I think, because she just was so distressed and hadn't healed from the divorce that she became her own worst enemy and I think they felt that Steve was the more stable parent even though she actually did like 90% of the child care from day one. What uh, what year did they get divorced and then what year did she lose custody? I mean, how... Um... It, was like, it took them about a year, year and a half I think to get divorced and so that whole time they shared custody and then when after they got divorced, I think it was maybe a year after that, that mm. um, she lost custody. So this been maybe like, what, 2005 or 2000? thinking here. I got divorced in 2005. Probably 2008, maybe. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So about four years before she disappeared. Right. And that probably had to be uh, very difficult for her. I mean, you. I'm sure you were talking to her, and it was tough. Yep, very. It was the worst thing that she ever went through in her life. Um, she, like I said, couldn't have any kids. These kids were her world. I mean, and when she lost custody, she she just fell apart. And plus, she was a nurse for kids who had disabilities, so she just really felt betrayed by the whole system. And yeah. it was a wake up call for our whole family because. Like, I, I guess I always thought that the good guy always wins, but it's not always the case. And uh, she ended up getting some counseling, and their relationship really never was very good after that. I mean, I think they calmed down a little bit, but it just had, had always been pretty bitter. And then when Craig came into the picture, he was like a like to stir the pot, so it kind of got bad again for a while. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Julie's relationship with her two sons. Um you know, after they got divorced, uh, Steve got custody, but uh, was she able to stay in contact with him, like, after oh, yeah. 2008? And, oh, yeah. She had um, regular visitation with them. Okay. She had them every other weekend and, I, like, like, a day overnight during the week, and then she had them for, like, a month in the summer over the Christmas haunt, just standard visitation. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, that was what her world rotated around. So you would say that... Even though the divorce happened, she ended up having a good relationship with her yes. two sons. Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. she sure did. And how old? How old were they? Um, you said they were six and eight when they got divorced. So, how old would you say they are now? Now they are about. Let's see, I'm trying to think when she died. He was seventeen. 
23 and 27. Okay. All right. So they were maybe early 20s, late teens uh, when she disappeared six years ago? I think Skylar was 17 and Stevie was like 21. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Both still living with Steve and kind of going back and forth more since they were older between the two of them until – Craig came into picture, and then that was kind of a another issue. All right, we're going to talk about Craig here in, in a moment, but I think the listeners need to understand uh, one more thing here, and you already mentioned it. Uh, Julie suffered for, from some health issues. You already mentioned that she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in, when she was 11 years old, but she had some other health issues that affected her as she became an adult. Right, right. Um, about the time, actually, that her and Craig met, either a little before that or a little after that, uh, she started having, she got frozen shoulders. And you know, it had to have been right after that because she was still working as a nurse trying to work with this. And um, she worked home health care. She didn't have any insurance. And ended up, well, she ended up having to quit her job because of it. And then she lost her insurance, didn't have any Medicaid. She was going to a clinic, free clinic, to get help. Um, she said, but she couldn't lift kids or do anything anymore because she couldn't put her hands above her head. She couldn't put her hair in a ponytail. She couldn't wash her own hair. She, she had to use, you know, mm-hmm. like a bath scrub or whatever to do that or, or have somebody else help her with it. Then she also, she had always wore glasses, but her eyesight, which is something that's typical with diabetes, her eyesight got worse and worse and worse to where she would have to have something that she was reading like almost to her nose before she could actually see it, which mm. also also contributed to her not being able to work as a nurse any longer. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Went to home in Piqua when they, when they uh, got married, uh, had a car paid for had a pool out in her yard, just a you know uh, above ground pool, um, nice. How would you say that? Let, let me ask this: How would you say that her mental state was, knowing that these things were going on with her? How did she, um, you know, approach them mentally? Uh, Julie was a hard, hard worker, and she loved nursing, so she was not happy that she couldn't work anymore. For sure, she was in a lot yeah. of pain. Um, she applied for Social Security, but at that time she didn't really have a doctor, which makes it hard to get it. And I think it ended up taking her like four or five years to actually get Social Security disability. Mm. So meanwhile, uh, her and uh, she, she still kept busy and tried to do things around the house. Julie was, I always called her Holly Hobby. She uh, sewed, she always was making something, or she had a garden, she canned stuff, she loved flowers so even though she couldn't I think she worked too hard still especially when she couldn't work as a nurse anymore she tried to keep busy she spent a lot of time with her kids she had the pool for them to play in you know they went camping fishing did a lot of things together even though you know she couldn't work anymore it's it's interesting regarding the frozen shoulders. Uh, you should know, and the listeners should know, I actually had a frozen shoulder at one time. My right shoulder, I'm going to say it was over five years ago, and usually that's something with therapy that um, 
you know, can be overcome. I had to go through about three months of therapy to make it go away. Um, she wasn't able to do that. Uh, what do you think? No. Well, it was both of them. And mm-hmm. at the time she, she didn't have any insurance hmm. so or, or a job. So you can't get therapy if you yeah. don't. I mean, I think she tried. they tried to tell her some things she could do on her own, and she yeah. tried that. And then when she ended up getting it, they said it was probably too late for her to have, like, some kind of surgery that they could do to, like, rip it apart or whatever. Plus, with her diabetes, her tendency to heal was, you know, not as good as somebody right. else. Right. Uh, she had been diabetic for, like, 40 years, just about. So that impacted okay. everything. Okay. You already mentioned a couple times his name is Craig Early, and we need to explain that his first name is spelled C-R-E-G-G, not C-R-A-I-G, as the common spelling is, C-R-E-G-G, Early. Um, when did he come into Julie's life, and they, how did those two meet? Do you remember when the first time you met him? What can you tell the listeners about all of that? Well, Julie started uh, calling, like getting on the, the date. Lines. I don't think it was actually online. I think it was like phone phone groups or something. This is before mm-hmm. online, I believe. Okay. So she, she dated a couple different people that way. And then she, she met Craig on the, on the phone dating site. Um, first time I met him, I, what, I, I wasn't wrong. I mean, I tried not to be judgmental. He's not very good looking at all. He was real short, um, which is not everything. I know that. But he was very, very braggadocious, very all about him, knows everything, and that didn't impress me much. I was mm-hmm. kind of concerned from the get-go that he know he knows everything already, and, you know, he just he, – he seemed to be good to her at first. They, they seemed to be, you know, get along and be happy, and I was – Good, you know, I was glad for that because with her health, she, you know, she really did need somebody around. And but he just, he just was very, you could tell he was very into himself and just a, a braggart. And he and he didn't really, didn't seem to be a worker, which Julie was like a worker to the max. Yeah. And that concerned me. He said he was like a, a contractor, you know, did home construction. Well. It come down to it. He worked when he wanted to work, when he didn't want to work, and it was always under the table and that kind of stuff. So he was a little bit of a con man. Yeah, a big con man. Yeah, a big con man. And you know, he had all this stuff, and and he, you know, he told her he had been married before, and she cheated on him, and and they got divorced. Uh, didn't tell her that they had three children together. To one that died as an infant with health problems and two that were put up for adoption. She didn't find that out until when she had came to live with me the fall before um, before she was killed. And mm-hmm. he just was a liar and a con man and a thief. But she stuck with him. What do you? Uh, uh, let's put it this way: How often? How often did you see them? Were they living close to you? I mean, what was the situation there? Did you get together for holidays or? Yes, yes. I usually had holidays at my house, and and they came uh, and brought the kids, and so we had holidays together. She lived in Piqua, and at that time I was living in Versailles, which is about a half hour drive, and she worked. You know. Well, that's not after she worked. She was at 
at her house, and we, we would go swimming in her pool when she got her pool done. And she had just bought the house that she li- lived in before she moved to Trotwood and was working on her house. She loved to do that kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. and, her, and her flowers. So I would, I would go over, and, and we would take my, my kids over, and they would go swimming in her pool. Um, we did a garage sailing together, that kind of stuff. Not a lot, but because I worked and I had kids and life gets busy. But, you know, we talked on the phone some. Um, she spent a lot of time with my mom who kind of lived in Covington, which was between both of us. And I would run into her at my mom's and with the kids. And uh, so she, yeah, that was about it. We, we spent some time together, not not a great awful lot, but a lot of time we would hook up at my mom's house. And uh, the listener should understand is you, when you say her house, you mean her house. I mean, Julie was a very independent woman while she was a nurse. Yes, she got divorced, and those things happened, but she had her own house, she had her own car, etc. Yep, she had a, a boat, she had a camper, nothing new, but, I mean, she she mm-hmm. had nice furniture, she had money in the savings account, she paid her bills regularly, mm-hmm. she had, and she made good money, I mean, she she was doing good for herself, and then the con man comes into the picture. She met Craig, and... And when they met, uh, did Craig end up living uh, in her house with her? Yep. Is that what happened? Okay. Yep, he moved in. They got married, I think, maybe six months to a year after they met. They got married. Uh, they got married on their boat up at Indian Lake, and then they had a reception in their backyard, just a small wedding. Um, we were all there, and seemed happy enough. But... Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it wasn't very long after that she couldn't work anymore, and he wouldn't. They fought a lot about him getting a job so she could have insurance. That didn't happen, uh, and he would tell her he was going to go work, and she would call, and he was out fishing, or you know. So there was a lot of ended up being a lot of arguments about yeah. him not working and her not feeling good, and it ended up, it went bad pretty quick. And a lot of drama in this uh, relationship in this Mary. A lot of drama. A lot of, lot of drama. Actually, Julie actually went to jail for the first time in her life because they had a big privacy fence all around their house because of the pool. And um, they had a neighbor on, like, I think the right side of the house. They didn't they, they didn't get along with any of their neighbors ever. And the neighbors on one side was uh, a lesbian woman. And... Julie thought she was flirting with her or something. I kind of think that when you live with somebody, it's like it rubs off on you a little bit. So she went from always being kind of mouthy to like a conspiracy theory kind of person, which is what he was. Mm. And he he actually threw weed killer over uh, into her yard and killed all, all her grass one time in this lady's yard. And she got an argument with the, the people that lived in the apartment behind them, and she, Julie, ended up sending um, a bunch of lesbian porn magazines, subscribing to them for this lady, and went to jail for it. So, wow. Was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Charged, she charged, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars worth of magazines, and had them sent to this woman, and end up, she ended up spending. I don't know, a couple weeks in jail over it. You had to be really stunned by that. Uh, 
I think she was encouraged. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think mm. it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was on the front page. It was in the newspapers. It was, you know, going from being a nurse, a foster parent, to this kind of stuff. It was like, oh, boy, here we go. Yeah. And what were you, I mean, when you found out, for example, when you found out about that, um, what'd you say to her? If you, if you can say, and what'd she say to you? I mean, what? I just said, Julie, you know, what were you thinking? You know, what in the world? And, and she just said, well, she shouldn't have did it. And the, the girl just was looking at her funny and kept making her feel bad. And they, every time she'd go out in her backyard, she would yell and argue with her and they called the police and she just had had enough but i i think that mm. mr early was right in the middle of it all and thought it would be um totally hilarious to do this not realizing that when you charge something like that it's a crime yeah so, uh, yeah she she was sorry not sorry kind of all right so she gets married what year would you say they got married like 2008 2009 something like that yeah i'd say about 2000 probably 2008 because i think it was about three years Okay, so they get married, and from the start, you didn't like Craig. Um, he moves into her house. She was the one working, but then she's had to stop working because of some of these health issues she had. But he's not working, so um, you told me at, at one point they started to kind of, they had to move out of the house, and they ended up, after a while, maybe you can uh, maybe explain this, they ended up having to move in with Craig's mother. You know, so she she went from this independent woman house with a pool, all of these things, to having a room in Craig's mother's house. Uh, when did that happen? And um, I'm sure you were talking to her around this time. I mean, she had to seem to be a little bit of a downward spiral there. Or something. How did she explain it? Her her health was not good. He wasn't working. She ended up getting her house foreclosed on because he wouldn't work and. She couldn't work, and she couldn't get her Social Security fast enough, and so she ended up losing her house. They moved. Her, his mom lives about an hour away to the west of Dayton, Germantown area, and she had like a garage attached to the back of their house that they had made into a room for Craig at some point that you had to go out of it to come in the back door of their house. She couldn't like go from, from their room into their house. <clears throat> so they, her and Craig and Craig's two big old dogs all lived in this one big room, like a garage. And so that's um, what she had to do. I mean, mm. she couldn't work, obviously couldn't work. She was waiting for Social Security. Um, he wouldn't work uh, and or it would work, you know, just enough to get him by. So there really wasn't any other choice. Um she could have probably went and stayed with my mom, but uh, Craig kind of wasn't welcome there either. He just he just wasn't nice. He just wasn't nice to anybody, and my mom was having health problems off and on, so it just wasn't a good situation. And what year do you think this was then that they finally moved in? It, it wasn't like right after they got married, but it took a little time, but it did happen. Right. Probably, I would say, mid-2010. Probably about a year okay. before, six months to a year before she disappeared. Well, it had to be a year, a year before she disappeared. Okay. 
Now, you did tell me about one specific incident that maybe this was a culmination of many incidences, uh, the incidents that, that happened in that house between Craig, his mother, and Julie. But actually, Julie and Craig's mother uh, got in a fight. Why don't you explain maybe what happened there? Because it ended up that Julie ended up moving out. But what was that incident that he had? She had this fight with his mother. They had a. They just knocked heads from from day one. Him and uh, Julia and his mother didn't just didn't get along at all. Uh, she had to go, like I said, out of the house and into their back door to use the restroom. And Julie was real uh, poo pooey about herself. She had to. She fixed her hair. I mean, she had to look nice. That's just how she was. So she was went into the house and she went to get she always curled her hair every single day she went in to curl her hair and when she picked a curling iron up someone had cut the cord off of it so she was not happy so she went and took the curling iron in and started yelling at craig's mom about the curling iron and of course you know she didn't know nothing about it obviously but she really did more than likely who else was going to cut a curl you know cord off a curling iron in your own bathroom hmm. so anyway they got into a uh you know, had words and were arguing, and she started uh, chasing Julie, and Julie tried to get out the door. Of, it's like had a, a regular door and a screen door. Well, with her frozen shoulders and trying to get out the door, her foot got caught, and his mother kept slamming the screen door over and over on her foot to the point where it almost was broken. And she finally got away and went up by the mailbox in front of their house and got her phone and called the ambulance to come get her and take her to the hospital. So she went to the hospital and they, um, when she got to the hospital, she called me and I was like probably an hour away and I got, went and got my sister-in-law and we went down to the hospital and they had a counselor come in and talk to her about the situation and her foot wasn't broken, but it was all swollen, and she couldn't, you know, she had to have a crutch, and they wrapped it. And, and that could be dangerous for someone with diabetes, of course. Exactly. And I just, between the counselor talking to her and my sister in law, Jill, and I, we just said, Julie, you, you know, they had been at each other for months anyway. You know, you just, you just can't live this way. She hardly had any food. And with diabetes, she can't have that. And I, it was they, she would be, she would shut the heat off in on them out there, and like she she had a um, a toaster oven. She would complain if they had if they used the toaster oven. I mean, it just was a horrible situation. And then with the foot, that was the last straw. I said, you, please, 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 don't go back. Go get your stuff, and you know, just say enough's enough. Mm-hmm. Yep, so we did. We went back to the house, and she, uh, well, I think I took her home that, right that night, the next day. She came to live with you. Right. She came to for sales with me, which is about an hour, an hour and a half north of where they were, and uh, probably not too long after we got there, the call started, and it was Craig, and he called he called and he called and he called and he threatened her and we finally ended up calling the police because he called so much that we were trying to file phone harassment against him because he wouldn't let her, he wouldn't leave her alone. 
he um, called the Dark County Sheriff's Department, which is the county that I lived in at that time, and told him that I was holding Julie against her will, and the Sheriff's Department called me and had to talk to her about that. And so after that, we called the Versailles Police Department and had the police officer come down there to my house. And the next time that he called, the policeman answered the phone. He got in a big argument with the police officer and said he was going to come down there and have it out with the police officer. And, yeah, then um, finally we just shut her phone off and shut my phone off and she, I had a big picture window in the front of my house, and she was so scared. She, like, sit back in the corner, was concerned that he would, like, drive by and shoot through the house. And Did you think Did you think that was possible, too? Yes, yes. He, he just was acting like a raving lunatic. I mean, he just was because she left. And, and a lot mm. of it probably was because that's, you know, he just – he knew she was going to get Social Security – Plus, it was a control thing, and yeah, he just he he wasn't going to have that she's leaving. So finally, she did get away from him, and he he eventually um, did leave her alone. She did tell me when we went and got a, a protect. We were trying to get a protection order in Dark County against him because of all the phone calls and harassment. So, as part of um, her statement, which I hadn't known about before. She had had her – this was in 1st of September, end of August, 1st of September, over Labor Day. She, so 2011. Right. Okay. She, we went to the Dark County um, Sheriff's Office, and she had to fill out her paper about the protection order, why she needed it. She said that on her 50th birthday, which was July the 20th of that year, 2011, that they had a cookout and a bonfire at, behind his parents' house kind of for Julie's birthday. And he got really, really drunk, and um, Julie just wanted to go in the house, and somehow he got her in the car and took her out driving around out in the country. She said she was – it was like several hours. She didn't know where she was. He was, you know, drunk. He – she always carried like a big tote bag with like snacks in it and her, you know, medication, stuff for if she had low sugar all kinds of stuff. Her purse, she just always carried this big tote bag with her. And he kept, she said they were going down country roads where she didn't know where she was. It was like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And he kept getting in her tote bag and throwing stuff out the window and telling her to go get it. And so she said she huh. got out of the car and was like walking in the ditches because she thought he was going to run over her and picking up her stuff. And and then finally, uh, she got back in the car, and he said he would take her home, and he told her that he could just kill her and put her someplace where nobody would ever find her, and that's what he told her on her birthday. And this was before she had the fight with the mother. This is before she ended up living with you, and of course, that, that then explains when she got to you that why she had this fear. She wouldn't um, – you had told me she wouldn't sleep by this window. At night, even though there was a couch or maybe a bed there, you were personally fearful that he might, you know, come and do something. I mean, during that time, did he drive by? Did he come by that that you ever saw or anything? No, and I lived on a little cul-de-sac, which was a good thing. I mean, he did know where I was, but no, I didn't see him around there. And the police mm -hmm. told him that they saw him come in town. It was, I mean, a, a small mm -hmm. town. That, okay. You know, he would be he would be told to leave. So no, he didn't come back. He didn't come out there as far as I know. 
Okay. He did show up at the, he did show up at the um, courthouse for her hearing for um, uh, protection order, and he cried and told her he would never hurt yeah. her, and yada yada. And it was yeah, his mom came, and it was just some friend of his, and it was it was just a big joke. Ended up that they didn't give her a protection order because he was clear in Germantown, and she was, which is like about an hour, an hour and a half away, and they didn't feel like it was a threat because she was so far away then. So she didn't get her protection order. Hmm. So he put on quite a show there. He put on quite a show. Quite a ruse, uh, making uh, the crying and everything. Okay. Did you not tell me, though, he also set up, I don't know in the timeline where this happened, he set up some sort of ruse where uh, he used, um, he has a, Craig has a brother's wife so he could see Julie somehow. When did that happen? How did that happen? Well, she lived with me from probably the first part of September up until towards the end of October. Uh, she, Julie had talked to the sister-in-law. They were really, really close. And so she talked to her quite often, and I think for the whole time that Julie was gone, uh, Craig was working on the sister-in-law to uh, get her in contact with him because he couldn't really contact her at my house. So um, eventually it worked, and she came to take Julie out to lunch or something, and Craig was there. Wow. So, yeah, it didn't go over too well with me. I was very, very, hmm. very upset. Um, so did he give her, like, a sob story? What what went on oh, that day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, because part of – I think part of why she left when she was murdered or why she was going to leave is because the whole thing was, well, you'll get to see the boys, and, you know, you can't spend time with them there because she would still go to my mom's and see him, but she couldn't really – see him as much as she was used to and he just put on the whole big thing and I'm sure she missed her kids you know they can come stay with us anytime and you know uh, I'm going to go to work and yeah the whole everything that she needed to hear mm-hmm. he he said and um, anyway she ended up going back probably the next day and we didn't uh, uh, I just told her you know, I told her I didn't want her to go. My mom was in the nursing home at the time. I said, go stay with that mom's house. There's nobody there. You know, give it some time. She wouldn't listen. And she went back with him. She just packed right up and moved right back in with him and his mother. Yep, she sure did. That had to be, you had to be both sad and scared at the same time. And angry. Yeah, angry. Well, right. Because I come to think that he had been physically hurting her and she just wouldn't tell me for I mean I just after finding out about what he did on her birthday then the whole picture kind of came in clear for me that she had been protecting him and the situation was a whole lot worse than she let on for a long time so I when she went back I was devastated and my mom was concerned because of how he had been with taking all her money when she had any that when she did get a settlement from Social Security that was the only thing he was hanging on for, and that he was going to use her and take everything that she had again. That she mm-hmm. didn't have now, but that she would eventually again. And mm-hmm. so when she went back, um, I, it just – I was so upset. And please, if there's anybody out there and you get mad at your sibling, don't ever not talk to him. Don't ever. 
Yeah. And I wish I could change, but I was just so upset with her and so yeah. hurt, and I hated, I just hated him, and I did not want anything to do with, with him, and I just was so hurt, you know, that she went back to somebody like that and was trying to help, was more concerned with helping him become the man she thought he could be than getting what she deserved, that I just couldn't talk to her for a while. You know, and I just, I just yeah. and and it actually just fell right into his game plan. So, did you not say at one point? Did she not say to you that she was going to help him become the man he wants to be, or something like that? She wanted, yeah. you know, and it's that's um. That's what she, that's what she said. She wanted to yeah. help him become the man that, and you know, nobody ever helped him, and he just had a horrible life, and you know, poor, poor Craig. And she was the one that was going to save him, you know, and he, she was going to help him become the man she thought he could be. He, he just needed somebody on his side. And, and this kind of uh, went in line with kind of her personality, wanting to help foster children, wanted to, in a, you know, in a, in a profession where she wanted to help others. Saying that to her was like probably the most manipulative statement that she, he could make to her to get her to do what he wanted. It was exactly the right thing, exactly mm-hmm. the right thing, and, he, and they're yeah. good at that. They really are. They Predators are. are. You're right. You're right. You're Predators right. are. You're right. Absolutely right. true. He knew just what to say and how to say it, and and he'd done it before. So I mean, it worked. So as soon as he got a hold of her, that was that. Um, they ended up. She got her social security. I think, like in, uh, I think it went back in October. I think in December. She got her. She did get her social security settlement. She got part of it. Uh, they went to. At that time, I went to Florida, to the villages, and stayed with my in-laws for like about a month every winter. And they, her and Craig, ended up going down and taking a just like a week trip, going down to Disney World and to the ocean. And I did talk to her on the phone then, and was happy that she got her money and that that they, you know, got to go. She got to go someplace and got to get, you know, was feeling a little better. She was getting, was able to see a doctor and things were a little better. So I talked to her probably, it was probably January, first part of January when I was in Florida and so was she. Mm -hmm. Um, Then probably about a week late after I got back and she did, our mom got considerably worse in the nursing home and she had heart failure and so I talked to her a couple times then about you know mom's condition I did see her she came to the nursing home once uh, when she when we got to the point where we thought she was going to pass away you know I called her and she said Craig couldn't bring her or wouldn't bring her and um, then my mom passed away January the 29th of January in 2011 so I saw her you know, at the funeral home with Craig, and then I saw her, of course, at the funeral and you know, the funeral home and the funeral day, and, and that was in first part of February. Uh, talked on the phone a couple times through the month of February about you know estate stuff. Sure. And, and then I saw her maybe the first week of March at my mom's home, where we went to go through. You know, like jewelry and clothes and stuff, divide stuff up. Did the topic of Craig come up? Yeah, he wasn't allowed in the house. 
you know, he she she came, but he wasn't allowed in there. But did you and he she talk about him? Uh, some, but not a lot. Okay. Basically, things weren't real well, you know, real good between us, and and I think she would have lied to me anyway. Okay. So we just kind of most of the memories of my mom is what we discussed. And my sister and all was there, a couple of my daughters, and just going through things. And so it was just kind of a sad memories of you know just talking about my mom and losing mom and it's, we didn't really talk a whole lot about him except for he wasn't allowed in the house and yeah. uh, then that was the last time I that's the last time I saw her alive mm-hmm. um, my brother she came down Kenny and I picked a few things out uh, she of course Craig was behind her and they wanted everything which my mom didn't have a lot anyway but uh, we just told we just told her get a U-Haul, you know, two weeks, come get it. And they basically came and took everything else out of the house. And he ended up selling it all to flea markets after she died. So, but oh well. Um, they came and got everything, and that's the last time my brother saw her alive. And so that was like mid to the end of March. Um, when was the last time you spoke to her before she disappeared? Uh, at my mom's house, going through the jewelry, first part of March. Wow. So, so, and she disappeared in May, so that was like two months, let's say. We just didn't talk, and that goes back to what you were talking about, just being angry and sad and disappointed and everything that she went back with Craig. Okay. Okay. So, what do we know? What is the, on the record, we know that this is highly suspect, but on that day that she disappeared, and let's just go through that again, that was May 21st, 2012. What's officially the story? What is the story that, let's say, that Craig told the police or for that day? Right. She's still listed as a uh, missing endangered person. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, Julie had bought a house, another house from some guy that Craig knew, like on land contract or something, in Trotwood in a little ranch-style housing development, very... Um, just a small little house. Um, he did a lot of work, and he did that kind of stuff. So he, you know, but he did work on the house, and she was so she was there, but she didn't know anybody. Couldn't drive. Very isolated. Uh, he was working on somebody's roof. The story that I was told at a neighbor's, like behind their house, a couple a couple houses down, working on a roof. And Julie didn't feel good that day. Yeah. She just was kind of watching TV and, and laying in bed. Well, he wanted to go out and play cards or do something when he got done working for the day, and she didn't feel like going. So um, his story, and, and there's been several, and I don't know if I remember them all. One of them was— There usually are multiple stories in yeah. cases such as this, but right. yes. Yeah. Right. He came home at lunch, right. and she wasn't feel good. He didn't want to go to the friends, and he wanted to go have a couple beers, whatever. So he said he came— he came home and checked on her, and he left. And when he came back, she was gone. All her, all her, her phone was gone. Her purse was gone. She was gone. No car. Car was still there. Both cars. They had two cars. Mm-hmm. Both cars were still there. He said the alarm was still set because he had like a, a house alarm. The alarm was set, but she was gone. That's, <laughs> that was one of the first stories. The okay. Story, was another story was he came back home, and they got into an argument, and 
apparently the sister-in-law, she had talked to the sister-in-law that day, and she had gotten, they couldn't keep money in a bank account because he had a bunch of liens against them for, like, he would go work on somebody's house if he didn't take the money and didn't finish it. So he had a lot of those kind of things where he couldn't have a bank account because they would take in his money. He also had, owed like, a couple thousand dollars to an ex to his ex-wife that he was supposed to pay $100 a month. And that's why he wouldn't go to work because they would garnish his wages. So he still had that. He went to jail several times over that. Um, he still didn't pay it. And it was only like $100 a month or something. $100 a month. And he wouldn't pay it. And he wouldn't pay it. Okay. Yeah, it's worth going to jail over several times. Not. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, he – where was I at? Just a variety of stories. just has a variety of stories for what happened that day. Um and I realize uh, the, the listeners have to understand that, once again, not only you, did you not talk to her since March of that year, but you didn't even find out her, about her disappearance for a while either. Right. No, it was a month. My sister-in-law talked to her the day she disappeared and said that Julie wasn't feeling good, but she was really upset because they had they kept their money in like a little home safe in their house, and she had – she said she had like $6,000. Like a couple weeks before that, she had gotten $5,000 from my mom's estate, and she got – she had like $1,000 left for one of her first installments for her Social Security. Hmm. And when she got – went in to get in there, there was only like $1,500 left, left oh in the, of, of the money had disappeared. And she had – she had talked to the sister-in-law and said she had changed her – to where she wasn't getting a check for Social Security at the house anymore. She was getting it on a card so he couldn't get into her money anymore. So she was real upset about that, and she wanted to have the boys come over. And I guess Stephen and him had gotten a fight the weekend before when he was there. He didn't want to have Stevie come over for Memorial Day weekend, so he told her that the kids couldn't come. So they got into a fight about that, he said, an argument about that, and he left, and when he came back, she was gone. She was and gone. Another story was she was talking to somebody online and met somebody, and took off. With took off guy. with that guy. Right. That was like yeah. three, three top versions. Okay. Uh, what time in the during the day was that conversation that Julie had with the sister-in-law? We should just maybe explain to that again. That is Craig's brother, who I'm understanding is it seems to be a better guy than Craig is. Um, Craig's brother's wife is the sister-in-law. All right. What? What time? What time uh, of the day do you think that was? I think she said she talked to her about one o'clock in the afternoon, and then um, the last person she talked to was her son Stephen, and I think that was like about three p.m. And that's when she told him that he wasn't going to be able to come for the weekend, and she was crying and pretty upset about it. Okay. That was the last time anybody talked to her. All right. Was the mother home, being that they were living at the Craig's mother's house? Was she at home when with Julie was home? They, at this time, had moved to their house in Trotwood, so they weren't living with her anymore. Oh, they weren't living with her anymore. Okay, so it was just the two. In, they lived in their new, their other house about a month. Okay. All right, so she disappears on May twenty first, 2012. There's a variety of stories, but the overall story is Craig is saying, he didn't have anything to do with it. She disappeared. He was working on this roof. He was down the street. He was somewhere else. And there are at least a couple phone calls that prove that that uh, 
Julie was at home and alive on that day. So if something happened, it happened later in the day. Um, how did you eventually find out that nobody had heard from her and that she disappeared? How did you personally find out? Okay. It was actually my sister-in-law, um, a cousin of Julie's, who I think took Julie to doctor's offices because she was so far, doctor appointments was so far away. It was a cousin of Craig's that would take her sometimes to doctor's appointments or social security appointments, things like that. So she called, she got a phone call from the social security office. She must have been on Julie's list and said that she hadn't showed up for her social security appointment. So Mm. the cousin called my sister-in-law and said, hey, do you guys know where Julie is? Because the social security office called me and said that she missed her social security appointment which she waited, you know, four or five years to get, which wouldn't happen. And I called, I called Craig's mom, and she said that Craig said he left, that she left about a month ago. And that was the first we heard of it. And that was like June the 19th, almost a month wow. later. So I knew right then. I just had a gut feeling right then and there that something was up. Julie had left him maybe three times in their marriage, twice to stay with my mom, maybe for a weekend. My mom had passed away in January, so that wasn't a possibility. And then she had lived with me for the two months the fall before. You know, she was so isolated. She had, she didn't have any friends anymore. She didn't have contact with with really anybody except for kind of online. She wasn't with the sister-in-law. We checked with that. She hadn't hadn't talked to her for about a month. Um, Hmm. So we knew something was really, and plus, he, when she left before, and he called over and over and over. I mean, I just can't imagine that if she left, he wasn't going to be calling. I was the only place she could have went. Yeah. He never called once. So that was just totally the opposite. Yeah, and then we have to remind the listeners that when she went and lived with you the year before in August, that you know he was calling all the time to the point where you had to just shut your phones off and you you know tried to get the police involved this time when she leaves allegedly that time you didn't get one call from him in that entire month after not one phone call to me not one phone call to my brother and sister-in-law not a phone call to the sister-in-law not one phone call to anybody I'm wondering, during that month, being that, of course, I know that it sounds to me at least a little bit that you two were estranged, I think for very good reasons, you know, being that you knew that, you know, I I know you look, you've already said you look back at it now and maybe would have handled things differently, but I think a lot of people also could understand your situation at the time. Um, This uh, this sister-in-law, was she trying to contact, did she not have any interaction with Julie did was she not concerned that she hadn't heard from her for a month or have you ever talked to her about that I I don't recall if I kind of think maybe she said she had tried to call a couple times and didn't get an answer left a message or something Mm -hmm. but I guess it was it's like they talked sometimes they talked a lot sometimes they didn't so it wasn't you know didn't really bother her too much I think she was starting to get kind of concerned okay so she didn't have an occasion to like go over to their house, or the brother never went over to Craig's house and say, "Hey, where's Julie? Not here." No, they lived like about an hour and a half north, too. Okay. Uh, and the sister-in-law and the mother-in-law did not get along at all, so she wouldn't have talked to her. So yeah. no. Okay. 
So this social, so really, what got this all started in uh, the investigation was the social security hearing that she missed. Now we should say that Craig never filed a missing persons report no. during that month. Ever. No, we went, we went to the police station. My brother, my sister-in-law, and I the next day down to Trotwood, and they said that he had called a couple weeks after she left and reported her missing but didn't actually make it they didn't actually make official report mm. because he said she left all the time so he acted you know just kind of called but he they kind of blew it off act like it wasn't a big deal so they didn't even make an official report he did go the day after we went and talked to him and did finally file an official report which was on june the 21st so like a, almost like an exactly a month later from may 21st to june 21st you were the person who finally filed the report, even though you hadn't even seen her or talked to her since March. No, we couldn't. We went to the police station. Oh, okay. On okay. the 20th, but because he was married to her, he had to be the one who okay. filed the report. So he did that the next day. But we got the ball rolling on June the 20th and went in and told our side of the story, you know, mm -hmm. that she was ill, you know, and that's when we found out, you know, that she, that he, I guess they talked to, to him. And he, they said something about the police report a couple weeks before, or when he had called the police a couple weeks before, but said that she left all the time, act like it wasn't a big deal. So she left all the time, even though she had uh, was going blind and couldn't drive a car. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. And it wasn't true because she, like I said, three times in, in three years she left, and it was two times with my mom, once with me. When, uh, being that, um, did you happen to run into Craig at any time during this at the police station or, or anything? No. no. No, we did not. Um, mm -hmm. They went the next day, and then I think we went down probably the next week. We went down and talked to the police then, and I think they went in and did a search of the house, and we talked to the news, the news people at that time at the police station about her being missing, and then all of a sudden he decides to go and make flyers and put flyers out after about six weeks, mm. you know, after she's missing, and gets on the TV and cries and says, you know, he didn't know where she was and if she could please come home and yada yada. So, okay. What one point? At what point? Um, let's put it this way: once the police did find out, what did they do? Did they ping? Uh, the phone? Did they go over to the house? Did Craig let them in? What What do you believe the police did? I mean, you know, being that it's been a month, that's a long time. Yep. You know, what what uh, happened? What the police do? They, uh, I think they took us seriously. Uh, they went shortly after that, maybe within the next week, and I think they had a search warrant and went into the home. Um, the police officer, the detective, told me afterwards that the house was eerily clean. I mean, like, smelled like bleach and pine saw. And mm. my sister was, my sister was messy clean. I mean, she, she just had stuff, lots of stuff stacked over here, you know, papers, and she just wasn't, yeah, it wouldn't have been like, like she normally had things. So they said uh, her, she didn't, the toothbrush was gone, her purse was gone, her phone was gone. Everything else in the house was there. And to know my sister, you know, the couple other times she left, she had everything she owned packed in her car before she left because she was so afraid he would sell all her stuff. That's mm -hmm. just how she was. 
and for her to walk out the door when she didn't know where she was on foot, not being able to see, not know where she was, really, and not call anybody and leave all her stuff, that wouldn't happen. No way. Was her medication there? I mean, her insulin or whatever else, was it all still there? I think her insulin was gone, and some of the details are fuzzy. It's been six years. Mm, Sure. I believe her insulin was gone. I know they said her toothbrush was gone, but in her purse. And that's really all I think that was gone and her. Okay. Uh, her phone, you said her phone was gone or not? Phone was gone. Her phone was okay. gone and shut off. Okay. Did they, uh, were they able to get any cell phone records to maybe ping, uh, where it might've last been or any phone calls or anything? Her house. They, they said it was at her house. They did take the computer. They looked at her. She had been on the computer off and on during the day on Pinterest and on Facebook, and I think they said 3.30 was the last time she has, was had been on the computer. And mm. there was no records of any kind of chat sites or talking to any other men. Okay. So any ideas Craig had about her seeing some other ta- seeing some other guy or taking off with some other guy, there was at least no proof that no. Uh, they could find on the computer. And surely if Craig thought that, Seeming the kind of guy I think he is, he probably would have been able would have trotted out the information just to prove it. Right, exactly. right, the right, right, the kind of the guy I guess, gun uh, the kind of guy he is. Now they did though, on the other hand, take a take a look at Craig's phone too. What did the police find out about Craig's phone? They said that I think they said from like four o'clock to maybe seven o'clock his phone was shut off. So they couldn't get anything from it on that day, May twenty first, two thousand twelve. Which is which is when they are thinking this happened from okay. about that time. Right. Phone was shut off. They did tell me, and then when he turned it on, he called two of his friends. They did talk to the two friends, and they did ping the two friends' phone, but they couldn't see any connection to where they were like together or the two were together or anything that made any sense. Okay. Um, he did go spend the night with his mother after that. Hmm. Police said that the house was eerily clean, like strangely, strangely clean, maybe almost like a museum or something. But you did say that the police told you they did find some blood on the inside of the garage door. Uh, was that? A, do you think that could have been seen by the naked eye, or what do you, what do you think? I don't think so. Um, because we, the detective told me that they that they found just like a couple blood spatters. When we actually got a copy of the police report when we were on the Dr. Phil show, it said there were like, I don't know, between 15 and 25 blood splatters. But I don't mm. think they were visible. I think they sprayed it mm-hmm. and it showed up then. But they were so, there wasn't anything that they could get a sample of. They also, which we didn't know, said they had cadaver dogs in there and that cadaver dogs hit twice but you know they couldn't prove anything okay um, they did search the cars and the trunks didn't find anything they also searched a gravel pit that's at behind his mom's house and they had cadaver dogs hit a couple of times out there they searched the, the gravel pit didn't find anything that was all about the same relatively the same time mm. So, like you said, the cars were searched. So we have maybe some blood splatter, and we don't even know if it was from that day. There's no way to tell. Right. 
you know, of May 21st, 2012. We don't know. Maybe Craig was doing something in the garage. And was it proven to be Julie's blood? No, they couldn't get enough to get uh Oh, my. Okay. So could on the door, but he said that was from another time. And yeah. Right. Okay. So it could have been Julie's blood. It could have been Craig's blood. It could have been the former homeowner's blood. We don't know. Anything's possible. And when, like you said, his cars were checked. I mean, if you, you'd think there'd be something in on the garage door, you'd think there'd be something in the cars, but nothing was found in the cars. No, and I think when you got a month, yeah, to get rid of evidence. You apparently could do a pretty good job if your life's hanging in the balance. Okay. Okay. So the police, um, you know, did as much as they could. Maybe like you know, start having to start a month later. Seems like they. You know, uh, I know they talked to Craig, but obviously Craig is still walking around a, a free man. Uh, but I'm guessing that the, the police uh, believe he's a pretty good suspect in this. Oh, they that the detective, mm -hmm. they, you know, told me, but they just did not have any physical evidence. They were hoping to find her body at some point. Has not happened, which of course he said would not happen. Yeah. And uh, but even that wasn't enough um so yeah she's still missing we don't know where and i believe his mom knows and i believe craig knows and that's kind of where we are okay let me ask you this do you think if if craig did do this and um uh, once again this we covered a another disappearance very much like this on unfound uh coincidentally i think it was also in ohio uh rosemary rap who uh, disappeared under similar circumstances with her husband of many years telling a few different stories, very much like Craig did. Um, but um, do you believe that if we're to believe that Craig did something in this case and that Julie didn't run off with another man or just take off, maybe, you know, her health had her down and she just walked off or something. Um, do you think this is something that Craig could have done by himself or do you think that he needed help? Well, my, my gut from the beginning was that she was gone. I mean, dead. Um, my gut, mm. I just have a feeling that she, Julie had a mouth on her and I think she had been back down enough with him and she went back and gave him a second chance and I think she was going to go. And I think that she maybe was going out to try to get in the car to go, even though she shouldn't be driving. I think she was going to try to. I think they got into an altercation in the garage, and he uh, either hit her the wrong way, choked her, something, and that was that. Uh, do I think he – I think he just raged. I think he just got so angry, and she was already fragile, and I think he just killed her in a fit of rage. That's That's what my gut tells me. Yeah, so it wasn't something, it was a crime of, I guess you could call it passion. It wasn't like a planned type of thing. No. Okay. I don't think so. No, because, I mean, she had the social security money coming in. He didn't have any mm -hmm. income hardly. So, no, I don't think he would, I don't think he intentionally, because I wouldn't think he wanted the money. He was, you know, he was getting the money. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I just think he, she was going to leave, and he just got so enraged that, you know, he killed her. And then I do I think somebody helped? I think his mom. I think his mom knows all about it. I guess I'm what I mean about assistance is that do you think it would be capable uh, he could if he did do something to Julie, carry her, put her in a car, put her body in a car, take it somewhere, 
or would is he strong enough to do that or would he have needed somebody else's help to carry or what do you think uh julie he wasn't a real big guy he's a guy julie was probably 130 pounds five foot four probably could be lifted easily so i don't think he would have i don't think he would have to have any help mm-hmm uh, do I think somebody probably came in and helped him clean, like his mom? Yeah, I think so. Do I think that she probably uh, helped him morally after it was done and helped him cover up? Yeah, I think she did. Okay. And let's be clear, the uh, the police did talk to Craig, kind of talk to him, interrogate him, and I guess that whatever story he told, even though he's told multiple stories, uh, the police at this point in 2018 have not been able to pin anything on him. Any, not even circumstantial evidence, I guess. No, not enough. They, oh. uh, he, w- he refused to take a lie detector test. They didn't believe in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, he pretty much had a month to destroy any evidence there was. I know that the, the police have told us that they um, checked, like they check her Social Security. None of her money has been touched. They checked pharmacists pharmacies all over all over the country she's never filled a prescription so she's mm. not she's not out there okay craig went on a fishing trip not long after she disappeared was this before you found out that she was missing or uh, the, the, uh, the, the sister-in-law or the cousin um told this i think to my to my sister-in-law that mm. the weekend it was labor day weekend and he went he had some relation up by finley and he went up um, up the Finley River and went crappie fishing for that whole weekend right after she did disappeared. Okay. Well, for any listeners, let's be uh, kind of specific. So Finley, Ohio? Finley, Ohio, Finley River. I think it was like crappies running or something that he went up there for that uh, two or three days fish, fishing trip. Okay. And this sort of trip was – once again, not long after she disappeared, but before you even found out about her disappearance. Right. This was just within a day or two of her disappearance, and yeah, three weeks before we knew. Okay. So listeners in Ohio, uh, I guess it would be central to western Ohio. Um, if you know anything about that area, that ri- that creek or river, that area, that's where Craig uh, early went not long after his wife disappeared. If you're an outdoorsman or outdoors woman, um, that's the area that he was in. You know who know you know who knows what he was doing uh, out there. That sounds a little suspicious, I suppose. And we also have to keep in mind that he's going on this trip and his wife's missing, and he doesn't seem like he has a care in the world. Exactly. Okay. All right. Um, now the the other interesting part about this is that as of 2018, Craig is married again. Apparently, just got married in Vegas about a month ago, but um, I have another cousin who thinks she's a detective and kind of keeps track of him because I can't, I just can't. Mm-hmm. She, she's been talking to his new wife on Facebook, and I guess as of last weekend, she's left him already. Is that right? Well, this is a new development that, uh, listeners, you, I'm hearing this for the first time. So, Okay. And there, he, I guess he lived with somebody else, too, within the last year, and there was the police had to come to allow her to get out of that situation. Okay. Well, hell hath no fury like women scorned, Kim. 
So um, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. So you might want to be friendly with these women, get to know them, you know. You just don't know. Well, yep, you're exactly right. My cousin kind of told her the whole whole story, so let's hope she uh, – and okay. I talked to his first wife also after the fact, and that's another – he's got a big pattern of this. Yeah, he's he's an abuser. We're not. I you've told me those stories, but we're not going to get into that. But no yeah, he this is just uh, pattern behavior that he's had probably for decades. He's just the kind of guy that does this stuff. Exactly. Okay. Now you were on the Doctor Phil show. Uh, he was on the Doctor Phil show. You were on the Doctor Phil show. Yes. You were on the Doctor Phil show together. Why don't you tell the? I think this is the first. Uh, disappearance that I've done where somebody appeared on that show. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that experience being there, see, uh, being in person with Craig there and you know what you think of Dr. Phil. This was I I think about two years ago. She's been gone about four years when we went on there and actually my sister-in-law and I, there, I had a thing, on, there was a thing on Facebook about disappearances and it was Dr. Phil and I just filled it out and sent it in never in a million years thinking that uh, anything would have to come from it and like two days later they're texting me and that weekend I'm a, I'm in California with my sister-in-law and we were on the we filmed the show uh, and then he flew he flew in like the day before they called contacted him he said yes he would go but we had no contact it was actually the first time I'd seen him since since Julie was killed and he was on the stage, and he wouldn't be on the stage with us, which is okay because I don't know what I would have done. So we were in the front row of the, of the show, and he was mm-hmm. on the stage. And then, yeah, so uh, it, he he was pretty – Dr. Phil was pretty short, um, blunt. We He never came – his staff was fantastic above and beyond. We filmed mm-hmm. like a little episode before, the night before, uh, did pictures and stuff. And then the next day, they came and got us. We went to the, the studio. We went and got dressed, and then we went out. There were supposed to be two shows, two segments on this show, and we were going to stay and watch the second one. They came and got my sister-in-law and I. We went out, and we talked to Dr. Phil up on the stage and said our, our part of what happened with Julie and how we thought you know Craig had killed her and all that. And then we went and sat in the front row, and they brought Craig out. And mm-hmm. he said his his whole thing, and I'm prejudiced, but it, I think everybody in the audience and Dr. Phil was pretty aware that he was a bald-faced mm-hmm. liar. And he, Craig, uh, Dr. Phil got pretty got in his face pretty much, and you know, kind of let him know. I thought he did good about that, but I mean, he didn't come and shake our hands when we got there. He didn't come in and say anything to us afterwards. It, it just it, he just didn't seem like he really give a crap and then we were supposed to stay mm-hmm. and watch the other show and instead they just rushed us out of there uh they told us afterwards the, the people that apparently he was pushing craig so hard and uh the managers or the stage managers or whatever made him stop and he was uh, dr phil was upset because they wouldn't let him continue to push craig or he was trying to get him to snap and they, they made him stop so that's why they said they hurried up and got us out of there yeah. So just to be clear, uh, I was able to watch clips of it. I, I, I have to admit that I was not able to f- find the whole show. It's probably for copyright reasons, among other reasons. But just to be clear that when you were on that show, the only time you ever spent with Dr. Phil was 
actually on the stage. You didn't talk to him before. You didn't talk to him after. He didn't say, you know, just like you said, didn't shake your hand, nothing. No, nope. He never, like okay. like you did, you know, sent me a, a interview of what the kind of things you were going to talk about. Sure. Talk, you know, talk to me before, or, you know, I'm so sorry. Now, his, his, his crew did, mm. and they were great. But mm. no, not one handshake, yeah. not one anything. Okay. Well, you'd be glad to know that the host of this show, that being myself, um, I ha- I tend to have a little bit better uh, relations with my ga- former guests that it sounds like Dr. Phil does. So I, I can assure you that, that that's not going to happen with me, Kim, that uh, I'm always going to be very available to you. And just to be frank, I'm the missing persons expert. Dr. Phil isn't. So I, you know, I hope that I don't know how much, except for obviously gets a lot of publicity. Dr. Phil obviously has a lot of viewers and it helps that way. But I don't know how many cases have actually been solved by people going on the program. I don't know, but I understand it's very good for you from the standpoint of exposing who you believe Craig is. You know, it's it's very good when it comes to that. But I, I, I can guarantee you that uh, you and I are going to know each other for a long time. And I like to correspond with all my listeners or my guests and listeners too. And, you know, try to help them even after they've been on the program. So that was your experience. Um, and so they wished you away. You and Craig didn't have any words or anything like that at that time. No. 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 Okay. I'm amazed that they even got Craig to be on the program. How do you think they did that? Uh, free trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to stay in a hotel. Go to California. There you go. Wow. Okay. So that's what I think it was. Okay. Yeah, so he... He thinks he can bowl, you know, yeah. bowl through it all, and people will believe him because manipulators think they're that good. But it's true. He he was good for Julie. I mean, it worked for her, but everybody else, we we see it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you told you told the listeners first time you met him. You know, you thought he was braggadocious and a big shot and everything, and you know, pull the wool over people's eyes and everything. And so that continued right up through the Doctor Phil show. Yep, it sure did. And obviously it worked on this woman that he got married to in Las Vegas, but it seems that somebody got to her and she finally saw the light, luckily. Right, right. And I hope she continues to see the light because I know how that goes. (laughs) Right, right. You know, I want to say, I appreciate Dr. Phil Mm -hmm. and letting us be on. I really do. I know you do. Definitely wasn't what I thought it would be. Right. Well, the reason I wanted to make that clear is that I know that there are um, people who have, you know, lost loved ones to disappearances, who haven't been on Unfound yet. I know they listen to the program because some of them contact me, and I'm guessing that at one point or another they may get a chance to be on Doctor Phil. And I just want to give them a little preview that you know, if you're going to be on Doctor Phil, don't expect a lot of one-on-one, you know, attention. You know, it's going to be very mechanical. You know, it's very, you know, they're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to go on there. Doctor Phil's going to talk to you for ten minutes. And then that's it, or however long it is. Okay. That's about it. Okay. Um, two guys we haven't talked about are Julie's sons. I mean, how has this affected them since 2012? What do they think? Do you stay in contact with them, or how are they doing? Well, not good. Um, they both, like I said, have a lot of uh, issues, behavioral, emotionally. Um, mm. Skyler, kind of the younger one, who was our third cousin's child, has kind of hooked up with his 
a biological mother, so that's that's been a kind of a helpful thing. Okay. Um, it's, he's been kind of he's actually lived on the street some. He's been back and forth mm. uh, with his with his other mom. He's been with still back with his stepdad or his, his dad, adopted dad. So he's just kind of been here, there, and everywhere, floating around. Um, Got Stevie got married, had a little girl, was doing very well, attending church, working, and about six months ago, got mixed up in some drugs and bad things, and I believe he's in jail right now. Oh my! Yeah. Oh my! Yep, yep, yep. So they are missing their mother big time. Wow. Yeah, I've I've seen you know unfortunately I've seen like things like this before and other disappearances you know something happens and sometimes it can cause family members once again brothers sisters parents children um, you know to start maybe not living the right way things break down that happens yeah. unfortunately certainly has wow I pray for them both yeah. And like you said, they're like in their mid-20s now, something like that? Right. Right. Okay. All right. And what about you? I mean, obviously you have a brother as well. You know, how have you dealt with this? Obviously you've been on Dr. Phil show. Of course, you're being on this program. I mean, emotionally, what's it been like for you and him to go through this? It's been a stress. It's been a strain on our relationship, too. Um, we right now aren't talking, which I never thought in a million years I would ever mm. say. But, you know, I think it's kind of like when Julie went through her divorce and you've had all you can take. You just don't have any tolerance for anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's kind of the situation. It's like you've been oh, hurt wow. so bad oh, that you just can't take any. You have, you're just not going to take anymore, and that's kind of where we're at. I mean, I love him, the brother, and, and I know he loves me, but... Uh, we're just not on the same page anymore, and that's bad. It's kind of shredded our whole family. Yeah. This loss, you know, we lost our mom and Julie so close together, and then it's just it's been a, you know a really bad thing for for our family. It's pretty much destroyed it. It's been a tough six years. It has been a tough six years, and I think this year has been harder than. The first couple were really, really hard, but this last year, I just I don't know why, because I know it's coming up on seven years and they can declare her dead. It's just really been hard. Yeah. And maybe we should talk about that for a moment. Um, you probably, as much as any guest has been on this program, I mean, even from the beginning of this interview, you don't use disappearance. You say the day she was murdered. You just come right out and say that. Um, yeah, you know that. And you feel, and uh, that's just an acceptance you have now. Yep, yep. I just think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Julie and I didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we were were close in other ways. And I just, I just feel like she sent me that, told me, you know, the scene in the garage. I just feel like I, I'm not saying I'm psychic or anything. I just think I just have a deep knowing that immediately that she was gone and that it was violent and that she's gone. And then I have the proof, you know, that she's not gotten any insulin, which somebody right. who's diabetic for 40 years can't live, has not right. Uh, right. accessed any of her Social Security money. So, you know, ha and she would never, never, never leave her children. And so, you know, I, I know. 
without a doubt. Okay. Do you have uh, like a Facebook page, a website, or anything set up for Julie where people can go? Not at this time. No, I don't. I know I've I've reported her to like a lot of the missing people Mm -hmm. sites. Sure, Charlie Project. Yeah, sure. She's on that. Ohio missing something. She's on that one. Okay. There's been several sites that I put her on, but no, I don't have a Facebook. I do like every year on anniversary. This last year I haven't, but I usually go on the local TV channel. Um, I usually, her and like all of our cousins and stuff always post her picture mm-hmm. on Facebook when it's her birthday and when it's time for her anniversary. And that's, that's really about all that I'm, I'm doing right now. Okay. Are you on Facebook? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, here's what we're going to do. When we get off this uh, interview, I'm going to try to find you on there. And please don't say it over the – we don't want to say it over the interview, but I will try to find you on there. And maybe one of my listeners uh, maybe wants to help you. If, you. if you don't want to do it yourself, maybe somebody, one of my listeners can facilitate maybe say, setting up a Julie face early Facebook page. That would be awesome. Okay, because I know that they did that for another guest recently. So uh, maybe we can make that uh, help uh, make that happen, get some likes. So, you know, you can share any news and like in my discussion group, I have like 2,700 people. So um, it'd be good for all them to, you know, know about Julian. I think that that would raise the awareness to her disappearance, disappearance as well. Okay, so we'll try to make that happen. Um, Any last words, Kim, before we complete this interview? Uh, If there's anybody out there who knows anything, please do the right thing. Step forward. Let us put her where she belongs with my mom and dad. Give give us some closure, please. Somebody knows. I believe you're right. I believe somebody besides Craig knows. I agree with that. And Kim, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you very much for the time. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Kim Willie sister of Julie Early. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. I must apologize for a bit of the crackling you heard during the interview. My old phone had a soft case that was silent when I moved it around. Whereas this new phone has a hard case, and I think it rubs the microphone once in a while while recording. Hence the occasional clicking and scratching. I'll have to pay attention to that for future interviews. I think you can now see why I called this episode a lethal combination. Probably if Craig and Julie had married different types of people, Julie needed someone more like herself, a giver. Probably Julie would still be here. And yes, Craig would still be a con man that he is, a taker, but he and a con woman probably would have made a healthier match, and he wouldn't be suspected in a disappearance. Yet Julie and Craig meeting back in 2008-2009 put them both on the path to what we are talking about today. On the Unfound live show this past Wednesday night, I compared Julie's disappearance to Rosemary Rapps, a case we covered only a month ago. Coincidentally, Rosemary also vanished in Ohio. And like Rosemary's, it doesn't take Columbo to figure out that Craig Early should be the prime suspect in Julie's disappearance. His appearance on Dr. Phil, if you watched it, certainly didn't help his cause. 
However, as a reporter, I continue to be open to new information that could turn me away from suspecting Craig. But I think Kim was really insightful when she said that every other time Julie would leave, Craig would be blowing up Kim's phone looking for Julie. But the days after Julie disappeared, nothing for an entire month. I'll also add that as in Rosemary's case where her daughter Stacy has a suspicion of where her mother is, Kim has an idea of where to look for Julie as well, if she can make it happen. In both interviews, I left those details out because we don't want to tip the suspects off. With that, I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a great review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.